Welcome to Hey Siri, a podcast about psychology, relationships, and most importantly, piping hot tea. Sit down, take a sip, and remember to subscribe as resident pop culture expert Zochi and struggling PhD student Siri take you through the what, why, and how of relationship research and what that means for your non-scientifically researched relationships. All of this research is coming out all the time, but academic literature can be intimidating and difficult to connect to real life. So let us do it for you. Siri will tell us all about what research is taking the psychology world by storm. On today's episode, she will tell us all about marriage after you have kids. How can you navigate it? What kind of strain will be put on your relationship? Is there a way to make it better? After hearing the research on how to keep your children and marriage alive, Zochi will tell Siri all about one of the seemingly most beloved couples on TV, Lily and Marshall. I promise I know how to talk. <laughs> I know that's how a to I put a typo. I'm sorry. I sabotaged <laughs> you. It's one of the seemingly. Oh my god. This is because I don't read anything. Like literally this is very typical for me. I do not practice anything and I just dive into it and what happens happens. <laughs> so I f so for our research connect, I found a really interesting article. It actually doesn't focus very much I mean, it talks about a little bit of the implications of what they looked at, but mostly they focused on something that is tangential to mar marital quality, which is basically gender inequity in time spent on child care and work-related responsibilities between moms and dads. Interesting. Um, and we know from previous research that one of the most common topics of conflict among married couples is is basically kids, childcare responsibilities, and um, also housework. And a lot of that may have to do with these these kind of inherent differences and in how moms and dads are expected to pick up the slack when it comes to these things. Mm. So. The article is titled Parents, Work Arrangements, and Time Use During the COVID-19 Pandemic. Um, and it's a little, it's not actually just during the COVID-19 pandemic. They actually compared pre-pandemic and then during the pandemic. Oh, perfect. So this is by Thomas Littleton, Emma Zhang, and Kelly Music. And it's actually, um, it's as far as I can tell, it's not a published paper yet. It's actually um, what's called a working paper, which means that they have, you know, conducted the study, done the data analysis, written it up, and then they upload it to Soch Archive. It's S-O-C-A-R-X-I-V, which is an open archive of the social sciences in January 2022. Basically, that's just to make it available for anyone who wants to read it. And I assume from here, they will pursue publication as well. Hell yeah, we believe in you guys. Yeah. Thomas, Emma, Kelly, go. <laughs> you got this. <laughs> and thank you for making your paper available to us. <laughs> it also makes sense because the COVID-19 pandemic is still happening. Right, right. And <laughs> and so yeah. there's probably still research to be done. Yeah, I don't know if they want to add to it or what's going on. They used a pretty extensive data set, which we'll talk about a little later, although there are some details that, that were kind of excluded that I would be interested in that I may follow up on later. But... Kind of their, their rationale started with the fact that as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, the percentage of people who worked from home rose from 22% to 42% between 2019 and 2020. 
so a huge increase in people working from home and that has positives and negatives for working parents so there's this increased flexibility with childcare, but also less distinction between home and work there's the the blurred boundaries there and we know that there are there were existing gender inequities in childcare and job pay between moms and dads and it's important to understand how this shift to telecommuting, which in a lot of cases, uh, or not a lot, some cases, many cases, may actually be permanent. We're moving more towards telecommuting. Um, so it's important to understand how this shift you know, attenuates or enhances this existing imbalance. Right. So some studies have indicated that moms have reduced their work hours. But other studies kind of offer conflicting findings about the time spent on work versus childcare between moms and dads, and how this differs between parents who work from home versus work in person. Mm -hmm. So it's possible that moms are spending more time on supervisory childcare. So this more of like working and kind of minding the kids, yeah. which hasn't been adequately captured by previous studies. Just because this isn't like this isn't straight up childcare. This is like working, and then also on top of that, having to watch kids or monitor them. Yeah, and of course, like you know, people who started working from home, their kids also started right. going to school from home. Yeah. I can definitely imagine like you don't have a teacher there, mm -hmm. but you have your mom. If you need help with something, exactly. You know, <laughs> why wouldn't? You just be like, hey, mom, can you? Yeah, okay. no, exactly. <laughs> and then it does seem that parents are working from, that mothers working from home are taking on more household labor than fathers, um, even in families where both parents work from home. So that can also, you know, besides this kind of childcare aspect, just spending more time on housework can affect, you know, your, your time spent working and your kind of success in your job, right? So if you're, you know, taking breaks to clean things up and make sure that, you know, like everything is as it should be and, you know, that you have kind of a clean environment to work in, that's going to affect, you know, your capacity to, to provide quality work and, you know, the time spent these, uh, the time spent on work. Come on, dads. I know. You're, we're going to see a lot of this. Do your part. <laughs> Pick up a sock. Yeah. Do the a results dish. are pretty, um, pretty significant. <laughs> so the study examined the relation between work arrangements and mother's and father's time use at home and work over several months in the first year of the pandemic, May to December 2020. I'm using nationally representative data from the 2017 to 2020 American Time Use Survey. And this allowed the researchers to make comparisons between pre- and post-pandemic time use by examining time diaries completed by participants that were extremely comprehensive. The researchers were specifically interested in comparing differences in time use between parents who began working from home and those who continue to travel to work pre- and post-pandemic, and examining the prevalence of hands-on versus supervisory childcare and differences in working time associated with the COVID-19 pandemic. So, you know, the differences between actually, right, like brushing your kids' teeth or helping them with homework 
although that could also be part of supervisory childcare, but doing those things while you're not working versus doing those things while you're right. also supposed to be working. So they were interested in examining kind of these broader categories of time use, so um, specifically housework, childcare, supervisory parenting, and paid work, and then also kind of delineations of parenting activities. So with regards to child care, they looked at the categories of routine, play, teaching, and management. And then they were also interested in kind of the structure and context of paid work environments from pre to post pandemic. And I say post pandemic, what I really mean is like during the pandemic. (laughs) You know, now. (laughs) Exactly. So including uh, work spells, supervisory parenting while working, and work outside of 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. weekday hours. And we'll kind of explore more what those things mean in a minute. But I do want to note that they were careful to consider potential confounding variables and analyses. So basically what they did was they made sure that their participants, so their their working parents, were similar across samples. So from their pre-pandemic data to their post-pandemic data, so that, you know, other factors that may influence the results uh, were controlled for, Mm -hmm. meaning that they wouldn't bias the results. So in terms of the method, just a little bit of like explanation of the American Time Use Survey. Participants reported on all activities they participated in from 4 a.m. to 4 p.m. on one day, uh, including the length of each activity, who was present, and where they were. And actually, now that I see that, actually, I think it was actually from 4 a.m. one day to 4 a.m. the next day. Okay, because I was about to be like, 4 p.m.? You're not off of work. I know. Okay, I read that wrong. It was a 24-hour spell. Okay, um, But just, just, it was significant that it started at 4 a.m. because, you know, that's kind of when some parents' work activities start, and especially when when childcare activities start, especially with little little ones. So in order to be included, so there was this broader sample of everyone who completed the IMU survey, because this is kind of a representative sample of Americans, it was across the United States. So in their sample, they only included working parents who had at least one minor child, so a child who was under the age of 18, they ended up with an age range of 21 to 60 for parents. Damn. So, yeah, I mean, pretty pretty typical of, of parents who have minor children. Under 18-year-old at, six, at, at 60? So as long as they had one minor child. So they could have had one kid who was, like, 25 and one who was, like, 17, right? Well, yeah, but, like, take, for example, our parents have one kid who's... Are you 25? Yes. Am I? 25 okay. and one who's 17... But they're not 60. They're almost 60, and they do have a minor child. It's a two-year difference. If they had had our sister two years previous, they would be included in this sample. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's really interesting. Two years later. Two years, yeah, sorry, two years later. Exactly. That confused me for yeah. a minute. So, I, I mean, like, wait, wait, you know, if you wait. had <laughs> your last kid in your mid-40s, you, you would qualify. And then uh, just as like a specific point, they had to have worked for at least one hour on the day they reported on their activities. And this is to make sure that they were looking at like work days, (laughs) not like, um, you know, just a random day where they took off work. Can you imagine clocking in for one hour? (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, I didn't really understand. I guess, you know, they couldn't limit it to like people who worked eight hour days because some people only work six hour shifts or maybe like they only 
you know, had one task to complete that day. I'm thinking if you're like freelancing, if you're like a freelancer for your job. That makes sense. That's works funny in my brain because the first three hours of my work day, I, I do nothing. I just stick around. I just experience life. <laughs> I, yeah, this was funny for me because I can't remember. And this is just like, I think maybe part of just being in different work contexts but right yeah I can't remember the last day I like just like did one hour of work on a work day <laughs> I don't think I could get anything done I know, I know. <laughs> so in terms of their time use measures they like I said were interested in a few kind of categories so one of them was housework and they looked at core housework so cleaning tidying and laundry ancillary uh, housework, so household and vehicle maintenance, and travel, so anything they had to travel for for housework purposes. So that was probably things like traveling to get your oil changed or to pick up paint or something. Grocery shopping. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so this was all included in the category of housework. Um, In terms of childcare, so this overarching Childcare. Um, they included basic care, so caring for younger children, uh, such as feeding and bathing, education, so helping with homework, attending PTA meetings, health, so that would be caring for a sick child, and travel, so driving them to and from school or activities. And then in terms of supervisory parenting, they define this as when a parent is responsible for looking after a child, but is not actively engaged in childcare as a primary activity. So looking after a kid, when you're also supposed to be working, that kind of thing. And then they delineated childcare into these specific categories that they kind of probed further. So routine, so um, kind of routine childcare, direct physical care for the child, that would be things like making them breakfast or helping them bathe if they're younger. Play, which is kind of self-explanatory. Teaching would be things like helping with homework or literally teaching them concepts yeah you teach teach kids a lot of things yeah like (laughs) i mean but like academic related and then management i mean that's kind of things like just supervising them watching them while they're doing homework or you know doing household tasks this category was less clear to me but i think we kind of know what it means when you have to manage a child (laughs) yeah i feel that (laughs) um and they also looked at paid work time which they included work and work-related travel in there. And specifically, this category of time that included competing work demands and divided attention. So these are things like what they termed work spells, which is interrupted or fragmented work time. So this could be interrupted by childcare or housework or you know, just, just other, other responsibilities. And then supervisory parenting while working specifically. Right. So they did note some limitations. So with regards to, you know, parents who transitioned to working from home, there could be differences in the perceived likelihood of having a job that is telecommutable, especially for women. So women may be more likely to see their job as, I can't remember what they said, but really I can see it as women may be more likely to see their I think they said the opposite but I thought women might be more likely to see their job as telecommutable than men like they may be more likely to be like oh yeah I can take care of the kids while doing this than men 
Yeah, that's interesting. So women perceived that the likelihood that their job was telecommutable as well? Um, so there was no, they couldn't, they didn't have data on this. This was just kind of one thing that may have interfered or like biased the results is this like perception. So people who, mm. not that the job couldn't be done by via telecommute, but like maybe people were unwilling to do so or supervisors were unwilling to make that change. Right. Because the other limitation they noted was that there may have been differences in jobs that can be done remotely versus done in person. Yeah, because if you're a nurse. You well, yeah, I mean, but there are, I mean, there are nurses that, that do the helplines and stuff like that. And they did control, I think they, they mostly had people in white collar jobs and they did control for those kinds of things in the analyses, right. but you're right that, I mean, like you can't control statistically, like they didn't control for jobs themselves and what jobs there were, like they didn't like, they didn't consider that in analyses. And so you're right that jobs maybe that are more physical or need them to be present like nursing, that that may have biased results somewhat. But <laughs> probably nothing that's like, huge but just like things to definitely take yeah. into consideration definitely um and then in terms of data analysis i thought it was interesting they analyzed the data separately for men and women which did allow them to then test for significant differences between the results for men and women um, and then all mm -hmm. models controlled for day of the week month presence of a spouse or partner number of children and age of youngest child it's a little complicated going to what like actually statistically controlling for these variables means but basically like this means that you're accounting for the variance in the outcome uh, that's accounted for by these variables and so therefore whether it was friday versus monday is not going to bias your results you've accounted for that in your analyses mm -hmm. okay and more i kind of i mean equally importantly that means that any significant results you find are apparent above and beyond the effect of these variables or association okay. of these variables. But you don't have to worry about yeah, that. It's just like basically they've, they've thought about these things and they've thought about things that might impact the data and they're considering them. That was nice of them. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's thoughtful. And then the researchers examined differences in mean time use across these different categories between the 2017 to 2018 wave and the 2020 wave. So pre-pandemic versus during the pandemic. Right. So in terms of the results, there were a lot and a lot of them were things that I expected. I wouldn't say there was anything here that did surprise me. <laughs> You know, there was a significant, there was no significant, uh, this, okay, I take it back. This was interesting, but not necessarily surprising. And I'm not trying to downplay the data. You did great, researchers. This is a very interesting study. This is a very interesting study, <laughs> researchers. Good um, for you. But there was no significant difference in paid work time between, uh, from pre-pandemic to during the pandemic for parents. So regardless of whether it was before the pandemic or during the pandemic, parents weren't spending significantly more time working. Okay. 
But fathers spent more time in paid work across time points. So overall, men were spending more time on paid work than women. Right. Pre-pandemic, mothers spent more time on childcare and supervisory parenting than fathers, which I think, like, <laughs> is expected. Mm-hmm. And then interestingly, fathers working from home spent more time on those activities than fathers who worked in person. That makes sense, I think. Yeah, at the pre-pandemic time point. So it's interesting because it doesn't seem to be that moms are working from home more, and that's why they're spending more time on childcare and supervisory parenting. It's that moms, regardless of whether they work in person or work from home, are spending more time on these things Mm, than dads. Right. Mothers who worked in person experienced a decrease in time spent on childcare from pre-pandemic to during the pandemic. That was kind of interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, that could be because other people are maybe picking up the slack a little more, which would be, you know, nice and allowing them to maybe focus more on work and not have to spend, I mean, I don't want to say not have to spend so much time on their children, but like maybe there are other people in their lives who are, you know, grandma, dad, who are maybe a little bit accounting for moms not having to take total responsibility for childcare. Yeah, definitely. And then parents working from home experienced a significant increase in supervisory parenting between time points. This was across parents, but the increase for mothers was significantly higher than the increase for fathers. And this is kind of really notable because moms were already spending, you know, more time on this kind of these kinds of activities. And so mm-hmm. the fact that their increase was steeper than the dad's increase, I mean, just indicates like that they're overall and then also, you know, across time points investing more in these activities. And dad started out at a lower level and didn't increase as much as moms did. Hmm. So there was a 59% increase in time spent on supervisory parenting for moms and a 56% increase for dads. So it may, they may not That's seem, it's like, they, that may not seem like that big of a difference, but it's, it's a significant difference there. So it's not attributable to chance, basically. Like. <laughs> right, if it was like one or like a point percent. Exactly, yeah. Mm. There was also a significant increase in time spent on housework for parents who worked from home. And for this, this was more apparent for dads. So dads, the dad's increase in time spent on housework was steeper than the mom's increase in time. But I kind of feel like here too, the mom's increase of time spent on housework was probably not as steep as dad's because they already spent more time on housework and really how much more time can you put into like sweeping floors Right, especially when someone else has started, like, doing some of the jobs. Yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't think about that, but they didn't do, like, my new thing now now is that every, (laughs) all research looking at couples should do actor-partner analyses, which we talked about last week of, like, you know, you need to account for actual couples and both partners and couples, and this kind of, this would be a good place to have this data because you're right, it may be that, dad's increase in housework went up more than mom's because those are couples in which the dads are picking up the slack here and so moms have maybe less to do 
And then, you know, as expected, pre-pandemic, moms spent more time on routine childcare, so direct physical childcare than dads. And fathers who worked from home spent more time on routine childcare than fathers who worked in person. So pretty much yep, the same thing checks out. And then again, there was a reduction in time spent on routine childcare for mothers who worked in person from pre-pandemic to during the pandemic. So again, like, you know, interesting there, I, I assume maybe part of this would be other family members or friends kind of pitching in to help out. Mm-hmm. Mothers working from home uh, spent significantly more time in play activities with children between time points, and they increased um, an average of 16 minutes, or 67% more than pre-pandemic. Fathers across both work contexts increased in playtime between time points. This was a significant increase, but their mean increase in time was only six minutes as compared to moms. Oh, that's not many. (laughs) Well, this is interesting because, right, it makes sense intuitively that if you're working from home, you'll spend more time playing with your kids. Mm -hmm. But for dads, it was actually dads who worked from home and dads who worked in person spent more time playing with their kids. And I don't know if that's maybe that, you know, at the beginning stages of the pandemic, we weren't going out as much. And so rather than dads, you know, maybe doing other activities, they were staying home or what's going on there. That does make sense. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, And then again, pre-pandemic moms spent more time on teaching activities than dads in general across work contexts. Dads working from home increased their time in teaching activities from pre-pandemic to during the pandemic by an average of nine minutes. So I wanna point out two things here. Moms, didn't spend more time, they didn't have an increase in their time in teaching activities between time points, regardless of whether it was pre-pandemic or during the pandemic. And dads who worked in person didn't experience an increase, uh, but dads who worked from home did. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, what this indicates to me, right, is that dads are becoming more involved in their children's lives i would say right because school is a really big part of you know young children's lives but only if they're working from home right and then something really that kind of stuck out to me that i want to point out is dads working from home increase their time in teaching activities by an average of nine minutes this was a 94 percent increase from pre-pandemic to during the pandemic Oh my so God. think about how little time oh. they were spending on this pre-pandemic. If nine my minutes was God. a 94% increase. What the fuck? Yeah. Dad. <laughs> that's not okay. This seemed really notable to me. Wait, hang on. All right, so nine minutes. That was a 94% increase. Sorry, I'm bad at math. <laughs> so they were spending like half a minute with their kids? Yeah, basically. Or like a minute? Yeah, it was like a minute. Yeah. On average. <laughs> That's not cool. Yeah, it was really interesting. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then again, continuing this obvious pattern, moms spent more time on management activities than dads in general pre-pandemic. There was actually no significant differences in the amount of time spent on management between time points for moms or dads. So that was interesting. Okay. 
Moms are just doing it more <laughs> overall. <laughs> Pre-pandemic, uh, parents working from home, both moms and dads, spent more time supervising children during work hours than those who worked in person. This makes sense. And again, moms spent more time on this than dads. <laughs> wow, so and shocking. Yeah, shocking. I know. I'm so surprised. <laughs> and then there was a significant increase from pre-pandemic to during the pandemic in time spent supervising children while working for parents who worked remotely. And this was really interesting to me. So this increase was steeper for moms than for dads. So, you know, moms went from spending more time supervising children um, while working remotely before the pandemic to even more time supervising their <laughs> children um, while working remotely. But I mean, notable increase for both. So in both time points, parents were supervising their children while working remotely. So they started out working remotely and then continued working remotely. And there was a 470% increase in time spent supervising while working for moms and a 474% increase for dads. Jesus. And some of this, I assume, actually probably most of this, was related to children starting to attend school virtually. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then fathers reported more work spells. So remember, that's that fragmented or interrupted work time. And time spent working outside of regular business hours than moms did pre-pandemic. But there were significant differences in work structure and hours between time points for moms only. So overall, before, you know, before the pandemic, dads were kind of spent more time working before 9 a.m. and after 5 p.m. Um, they had more fragmented work times, which is interesting to me. I wonder if the, if the work spells were maybe due to things other than childcare, if they were due to like receiving emails or things like that. Yeah, that's... Hmm. But in terms of the difference between pre and, and during the pandemic, moms experienced a significant increase in time spent working outside of regular business hours and experienced an increase in work spells that was greater than the increase for dads. So from pre to during the pandemic, um, moms spent like more time working before 9 a.m. and after 5 p.m. on paid work and like they were you know they looked at like 4 a.m to 9 p.m yeah uh, 9 a.m um and then after 5 p.m so including the nighttime and they you know their work became they they found that they were having more interruptions to their work and more they were working more in fragmented periods uh during covid more so than than dads in terms of the change right I think that does kind of make sense because maybe a lot of kids are more used to having their mom around or something. So, yeah, so I kind of assumed that part of this was related to the increase of time spent supervising children while working. Because remember that increase yeah. was steeper for moms. So it kind of makes sense to mm -hmm. me that they would then experience more increase in fragmented work and interrupted work than dads in comparison to dads. Right. That does make sense. And then also that kind of, that I think that also kind of contributes to the time spent working outside of work hours because they're not able to get all the work done during work hours because, because of their interrupted work time. Right. Yeah. That does make sense. 
Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, in, in general, right, we know that mothers are taking on more childcare responsibilities, more housework responsibilities. Dads appear to be taking on more work responsibilities in, in terms of working outside of work hours, and they also appear to um, experience more interruptions in work. But this doesn't necessarily account for the significantly more amount of time that moms are putting into. Like we know that, right, if you look at a working mom and a working dad, they're working about the same number of hours, but the Mm. mom is likely, I mean, in general, but the mom is more likely to be spending more time on housework and childcare and supervising the kids. Mm -hmm. And it seems like parents working from home were really affected by the pandemic in terms of having the kids at home. You know, they were, they were spending more time with their kids, but this, this was especially apparent for moms who had already been spending a lot of time with their kids. We're now spending even more time. And then also really only, I mean, according to the results, only moms were experiencing this increase in fragmented work time and increase in time working outside of paid work hours that was also likely associated with children being at home and this kind of to me is connected to the fact that you know if you have two parents working from home moms are more likely to be attending to children and 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 housework and so kind of preventing dads from experiencing that fragmented work time and allowing them Mm -hmm. to get their work done but then also if the dad is working outside the home and the mom is not then she's solely responsible for for these things so overall kind of i was a little (laughs) depressed by this (laughs) it's not super encouraging and so i think that the message to get from this is probably just like dads should probably be stepping it up here (laughs) dads calling on you like come on man not even just picking up the slack but literally just equally pitching in exactly ensuring that there is equitable distribution of responsibilities and to do that you kind of you can't just say okay but women just need to ask their partners to do this because it's like that adds to kind of this management load for women and instead we just need to have literally just dads stepping in but and it's, I also hate when people see that though where it's like oh why didn't you ask someone to do this or it's like all you need to do is make a list and and I'm like does he not live there right can he does he not have eyes exactly well beyond the fact that you know taking time to make a list or tell someone something and then having to follow up later and then having to make sure that it's done right like that all takes time but you're right like you know as a parent what needs to be done in your house and what needs to be done mm-hmm. for your children. Yeah. Your Weird. shared house and shared children. You don't make a list for your wife every morning before she does <laughs> stuff. Yeah, exactly. She just does it. And I think, you know, we know that that childcare, especially, and we covered this in our transition to parenthood episode, that becoming a parent is is more stressful for women than it is for men for a variety of reasons, not just the physical aspect of like giving birth to a child but also in terms of like social stress so or social related stress and expectations and so really kind of I think dads 
I, I, I think you can see these two studies, how they connect, right? So moms are taking more responsibility from babyhood, basically, and they're feeling more stressed and distressed by parenthood. And from the last study, we know that that negatively affects marital satisfaction, which is negatively associated with marital satisfaction. So I think looking at these results, it's I'm fairly confident in saying that, you know, the link between mom distress and marital dissatisfaction is possibly partly moderated, or I guess moderation is by definition partly, but is partly that the, the extent of time and effort that moms put into childcare and housework in addition to working probably you know, is partly associated with that. And so if dads did step up and we did see this more equitable, equitable distribution of childcare and housework responsibilities, I could fairly, I would fairly confidently say that that might be associated with an increase in marital satisfaction. Hell yeah. <laughs> so that on, was dads. our, yeah, that was our, I mean, that was basically our, our research connect is, um, moms do more and dads need to do more. Um, and that'll probably result in higher quality marriages. <laughs> Heed this advice, fathers. <laughs> yes. I think that does match up in some ways with our Pop Culture Connect. Today we are obviously talking about How I Met Your Mother, which is often abbreviated as H-I-M-Y-M, or Himin. I don't think anyone's ever called it Himin. Which is how I refer to it. Oh, okay. I call it Himin all the time. Always calling it Himin. That was the first time I've ever said the full title of the show, because I just say Himin. <laughs> So Himmim is an American sitcom created by Craig Thomas and Carter Bayes for CBS. The series was loosely inspired by Thomas and Bayes' friendship when they lived in New York. Interesting. The vast majority of episodes were directed by Pamela Fryman, who directed all but 12 episodes. Oh, wow. Did you know that Neil Patrick Harris uh, directed one? No, I didn't. He directed Jenkins, which I think is in season five. Oh, my God, I remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it initially received positive reviews upon release, but reception became more mixed as the seasons went on. Shocking. Can't imagine what would uh, make oh that happen. Oh my god. The show was nominated for 91 awards and received 21. My dogs are howling. There we go. <laughs> the show was nominated for 91 awards and received 21. And some of the notable ones are in 2010, Alison Hannigan won the People's Choice Award for Favorite TV Comedy Actress. In 2012, seven years after its premiere, the series won the People's Choice Award for Favorite Network TV Comedy, and Neil Patrick Harris won the award for Favorite favorite TV Comedy Actor twice. He deserves it. He does. He's good at his job. We are big Neil Patrick Harris supporters on this podcast. Yes, we are. The series begins in the year 2030 with a future Ted recounting the story of how he met his children's mother, Tracy, and his zany New York hijinks to his kids, Luke and Penny. Did you know that their names are Luke and Penny? I knew, I think I vaguely knew that his son's name was Luke because it was mentioned through the series that That's he had a son wanted to name him Luke. But what I had no idea Penny? what his daughter's name was. I don't know where that came from. That is so <laughs> random. 
I can't think of anything that connects back to any kind of Penny or Penelope during the series. Yeah, and you'd think for a show so focused on making connections that that would be like a prime opportunity to do that. And also, yeah, usually they go nuts with the kids' names. Weird. The story is told over long-form flashbacks watching Ted and his friends, Marshall, Lily, Robin, and Barney grow up and form relationships together. We will be focusing on the relationship between Lily and Marshall. So, who is Lily Aldrin? Lily is a creative, caring, and talented woman with a tough side you don't want to mess with. She begins the series as a kindergarten teacher and artist. Between seasons one and two, she attends art school in San Francisco, and upon returning to New York, she has a series of odd jobs including waitress, beekeeper, punk rocker for kids, and secretary at Ted's architecture firm before returning to teaching. Later in the series, she leaves teaching to become an art consultant for an eccentric billionaire. That was such a good transition for her character because I it was perfect. It. And I'm glad that they gave that to her because that is, it's such a wonderful growth for her character. And I really do like that they keep up with Lily's art career throughout the series. Although we get conflict, it's, you know, you don't really know if they wrote it, if they made it out to seem like Lily is a good artist or she's a genuinely not a good artist. (laughs) Clearly she has an eye for art. She has good taste in art. But one time we see her start selling her paintings to help fix her and Marshall's apartment floors because they're crooked. And she sells one for $500 and then she finds out that the guy only wanted the frame and he Uh threw out the painting. And a veterinarian found it and it turns out that dogs love her paintings. Yeah. But we never get much of an indication if humans like her paintings. Like, we don't... I don't know if she's a good artist. It's a delightful mystery. She has an art degree. She did a program of art in San Francisco. I don't know. Did, so she finished it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Because I remember in... Was it The Office? Uh, I didn't... I oh, didn't, yeah. Pan's yeah. Art School yeah, thingy. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. She finished the program, but... um. We hear about that, why that didn't turn out great later. (laughs) Lily is an excellent cook, educator, and caregiver, but we see throughout the series that she is insecure about seeing as, quote, just a kindergarten teacher and later, quote, just a mom. She has moments or long arcs of manipulation throughout the series, including orchestrating breakups between Ted and partners she doesn't think suit him or the future she's designed for him in her head, which she calls her front porch test. When Ted finds out about all the relationships that Lily has sabotaged, he's understandably upset, but later admits to Lily that she was right about the ladies not being right for him, and appreciates how protective she is over him, even though she had definitely overstepped many boundaries. (laughs) Oh my god. Lily is married to Marshall. Who is Marshall Erickson? Marshall is a goofy, intelligent, and caring man who is devoted to his wife and family and friends. He is very close with his family back in his hometown of St. Cloud, Minnesota, and often visits them or has them come visit him and and Lily in New York. He begins the series as a law student getting a degree in environmental law, and after passing the bar, he practices at a few firms, pursuing his goal of working at an environmental protection firm and saving the world. He ends the series as a judge. Which actually, more on that later. One of Marshall's biggest priorities in life is family, even when family members behave badly or even cruelly, like when he attempts to repair Lily's relationship with her deadbeat dad, Mickey, who she cut off contact with when she was 20 due to him only returning to her life for us for money for her, her, from her or her grandparents, who practically raised her. Marshall is married to Lily. I, I, I think in a lot of places, 
they did kind of a good job of portraying a relationship that's kind of real and composed of two mm. flawed people. And I think one of the big ones is like, is this not mismatch in values, but maybe difference in the importance placed on the value of family to a certain extent, because like for certain people, they do value family to the point where they will continue to engage even when they're repeatedly hurt and they want their partners to experience what they perceive as like the benefits of family even if you know there are some some issues there and so i think this this kind of storyline of him trying to step in and show lily how important it was to have a relationship with her dad that feels really authentic to me Definitely. And that conversation that they have about Mickey, we'll, we'll break that, that episode down later, but like, it is so interesting to hear the difference in Lily being like, no, you don't understand. I don't talk to him anymore for many reasons. And Marshall's just like, that doesn't make sense to me. You don't cut Mm -hmm. off family in it, you know, but he's also never, and she points out, he's never had to experience a bad familial relationship right he is close and happily close and very loving and supportive with all of his family members that we ever hear about yeah so very different experiences how did they get together lily and marshall met at wesleyan university in their first year originally marshall thought the universe had brought them together as lily randomly knocked on his dorm door to ask for help setting up her stereo and the rest was history But we later find out that Lily had seen Marshall at a mixer the night before and had spent the morning knocking on every door in the dorm until she found him, which is so cute. That kind of makes it better. (laughs) It's adorable. After Marshall helped her fix her stereo in the dorm room, the two of them started dating. When Lily first turned on the stereo, Good Feeling by the Violent Femmes was playing, and the two of them went went on to fall in love and lose their virginity to each other, and Good Feeling became their song. She and Marshall also spent their first Valentine's Day together watching the movie Predator, which becomes their Valentine's Day tradition. And they have a lot of different traditions and rituals that come into their relationship. I, like, note a lot of them throughout. One of them that I think is funny is if they're fighting, um, they can say pause, and then they can just, like, stop fighting and go do something else. That is, I mean, that, this creating shared meaning is a really big part of the Gottman's seven principles for making marriage work that includes creating these special moments and special traditions for your family for sure yeah they're so cute in the first episode we watch marshall practice his proposal with ted in the apartment they share with lily before she returns home and they get engaged and then have sex on the kitchen floor of the apartment they share with other people (laughs) they're they're a very sexual couple (laughs) i didn't like broach it too much but like it's hard to avoid that aspect of their couple because it comes up so fucking often (laughs) the engagement goes smoothly until the end of season one when lily tells marshall that she had applied for a position in a program at an art school in san francisco without telling him because she assumed she wouldn't be accepted she ends up being offered the position but the dates conflict with her and marshall's wedding which they cannot move she tells marshall she has to go and calls off the wedding marshall breaks up with her and she leaves for california that is so hard because i feel like Yes, this is a tough situation. Yes, they would have to lose the cost of the wedding, which is a really big deal. Mm. But you can always have a wedding at a later date. Yes, you'll eat the cost, but 
you know, supporting one another in these big life goals is so important. And again, you can have a wedding later. There's not, it's not like you won't be able to get married after that. Yeah, that's my thing where it's like, it sort of seems as if it's framed like she's calling off the wedding. And I'm like, you can send out a card to all of your relatives and everyone you invited and say, we have to, regrettably, we have to postpone the wedding so that Lily can attend an art program. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Think of how many people did that during COVID. And also, like, it's, 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 yeah, it's not so she can go on, like, a girl's trip. It's so she can receive further education right. for something that she wants to pursue in a career capacity. Also, this just seems like, I don't know, for me personally, this seems very minor. And granted, this happened, actually, I think the year after I got married. But my spouse and I picked up our entire lives and moved across the country with a few months notice because I got into a school and I got into a program and that I feel like that's so much bigger than moving a wedding to a later date. Yeah, seriously. And it's very common. Like I am not the only for especially for school. That's often happens for especially younger couples. You just have to compromise and make those concessions. Yeah. I don't know. It seems weird to me. Yeah. In season two, we see Marshall struggling with the breakup and Lily returns from her program. She says it went well, but later we find out that she had a horrible time and regretted leaving Marshall every day she was away. She has to get back together with him, but Marshall rejects her and they try to be friends. While Lily explores different career paths and returns to teaching, Marshall is struggling in law school and thinking about trying dating again. After he gets asked out by a cute barista, Chloe, he goes on a date with her, even though Barney and Ted warn him that she has, quote, crazy eyes. It was like 2005, y'all. This is very of its time. (laughs) He ignores them and invites her back to his apartment to talk, not knowing that Lily was in the apartment getting some of her stuff. Lily hides, and while Marshall is in the other room, she bumps a framed picture of her and Marshall, and it falls and breaks right as Chloe drops her keys. Marshall returns and thinks that Chloe has broken the picture, and worries that she might have crazy eyes after all. As Marshall is trying to figure out if Chloe is crazy, Lily hears that Chloe is about to kiss Marshall and jumps out of her hiding place to stop them. Lily introduces herself to Chloe and apologizes before leaving. Marshall asks Chloe to wait for a minute and follows Lily out of the apartment. Lily apologizes for going so crazy about him dating, and he says that she is the craziest girl he's ever met, and he loves her for it. They make up and get back together. Marshall goes back up to the apartment to apologize to Chloe and send her home and finds that she has trashed his place before leaving. Honestly, this is kind of a weird situation. I don't know if trashing the place was the correct response, but I don't know what the correct response would be. Yeah, also, yeah. Maybe in the just episode, taking some of their ice cream or something. I, like, distinctly remember, because he comes back and she's, like, there in the trash department. And he's like, what happened here? And she's like, I, I couldn't find my keys, so sorry about that. <laughs> and he's like, those keys? And she's like, oh, great, okay, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> see ya. Very funny. Honestly, like, there have been times in the morning where I have been trying to find something, and I have trashed my apartment, and it has been on the kitchen counter. (laughs) Chloe, girl, you're good. You don't have crazy eyes. I love you. You're zany. In the next episode, Atlantic City, Lily and Marshall decide to get eloped in Atlantic City to avoid their family's judgments about them calling off the... Is it get eloped or elope? 
I'll give up. Can you get eloped? I think it's both because you can get married or you can marry. They decide to elope in Atlantic City to avoid their family's judgments about calling off the wedding and then getting engaged again. But once they get to the chapel, they realize that even though it will be stressful, embarrassing, and difficult, they both want their families to be there when they get married and decide to have a full wedding after all. Can I just, like, reframe this really quick? Because they're worried about their family's judgments because they called off the wedding and then got engaged again. Mm-hmm. If they just sent out... If they postponed the wedding. If they were like, hey, y'all, we just got to postpone. Okay, now we're going to have the wedding after she's finished. Like, there would be no judgment. <laughs> Seriously, this whole situation is bizarre to me. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> In the first episode... Oh, God. That's not what that sentence says at all. In the episode, First Time in New York, when the gang is on a trip to the Empire State Building, trying to convince Robin's younger sister, Katie, not to lose her virginity to her douchey boyfriend, she asks them all about their first times. That's real. That's a storyline in the show. (laughs) I know. I know, because that's what uh, a teenager will do, right? They'll ask all of the adults in their lives to tell them about when they lost their virginity. That seems legit. Ask me if we ever see Katie again, including at Robin's literal <laughs> wedding. <laughs> oh my god. This Absolutely is like not. so clearly written by adults who like are not <laughs> <laughs> they don't care about real being realistic. <laughs> it is absolutely ridiculous. So Marshall tells Katie that he's so glad he and Lily waited to do anything sexual until they found each other, and Lily corrects him that while she lost her virginity to him, she had fooled around with her high school sweetheart, Scooter. Marshall disagrees and is disappointed that Lily has had sex before he did, but she insists that what she and Scooter did was not sex and didn't count. Marshall is still upset and tells Lily he feels as though this rewrites their history, but she says it absolutely does not and tells him, look, have you been to the Empire State Building? No, you've only been in the lobby. People don't buy tickets to go to the lobby. They buy tickets to go to the top. Scooter only got in the lobby and the lobby doesn't count. (laughs) What a strange conversation to have in public. Also, in front of all of your closest friends and your friend's sister. I guess it just seems so, like, not a conversation you would have. How long have they been married by this point? They're just engaged. Oh, they're still engaged. Yeah, I guess that I can maybe see a disagreement like that happening. But, like, I just feel like, especially because they were together for so long, those kind yeah. of things get less important the longer you're with someone. They really do. It's also like virginity is a social construct. Everyone has a different idea of what losing your virginity means. But also, I think Marshall's just like, I think it's when like you find a picture of your ex, of, of your partner and their ex or something, and you're like, Mwah, how dare you do something in the past before you knew me? You suck. Yeah, and there is that. But again, like, I just feel like this gets for someone, you know, if you've been together with your partner, even if you're not married at this point, if you've been with them for, you know, 10 years, right, let's say, or, or something close to that. Like, the shared life you have built with them feels more important viscerally than the things that came before. And I can say that as someone who was, like, in a relationship that started when we were younger and now has grown to when we're older. Like, the things that you care about, especially when you're, like, in college, you don't care about later, and you don't care about when you've been with them longer. Yeah, but I think it's also, like, obviously virginity and the concept of virginity is something that matters to Marshall, which I can, we can assume that comes from his upbringing because he's from St. Cloud, Minnesota. They're definitely Christian. Right, because he is more 
Absolutely. And and from a small town, right? That's going he, to... He also did lose his virginity to Lily, and that was the only sexual contact he had ever had up until that point. And so I, I think it's also yeah. like a bit of insecurity where it's like, no, you got numbers on me. <laughs> I can absolutely... No, and I can absolutely see that. Like that kind of like, I thought we were on the same page, yeah. but it you actually got... Uh, and, and it, you know, I'm sure he doesn't feel this way, but, like, you got more than me, or, like, yeah. you got to have more than me. And, like, I think that's why it's just generally, like, just don't talk about previous partners. Ever. Like, never, ever. Just don't. But also, nobody to wants out- to hear it. Nobody's going to be happy getting more information. You can't unring that bell. Exactly. Just, it should never come up. But also, you started dating your husband when you were 16. I did. So. Both of y'all literally didn't have relationships before that. Y'all are the Lily and Marshall. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the thing about actually being high school sweethearts, right, is it's, like, the first person yeah. you've ever, like, dated. And d- I'm saying dating in quotation yeah. marks when you're 16, right? But, like, so that I do see that being different, you know. Because they met each other in college. Not too much later, but. That's true. So they actually have a exactly. relationship history with other people. Like, they've dated yeah. other people. <laughs> Yeah. So, Marshall still disagrees, and they go back and forth a bit more, but the gang ends up leaving after Katie storms off. The next day, they actually return to take Katie to the top of the building, and while in line, Ted says he's glad they finally came, and Barney points out that they were here yesterday. Marshall points out that it didn't really count, since they only saw the lobby, and then apologizes to Lily for making a big deal out of her and Scooter. And that, to me, totally signals that he was just sort of, like, butthurt in the moment about her ex-boyfriend existing (laughs) and daring to be a person (laughs) yeah yeah and it's nice also that he apologized and did that kind of like active repairing behavior because sometimes you can just like let things pass and that's not necessarily as constructive as saying like i was (laughs) in the episode columns barney asks lily to paint a nude portrait of him Lily turns him down, saying that it would make Marshall uncomfortable because she promised him he was the only man she would ever see naked. But when Barney offers her $5,000 for the painting, she realizes she and Marshall could have their dream honeymoon in Scotland. And when she tells him about it, Marshall enthusiastically agrees. And that conversation is actually fucking hilarious because she's like, Hey, so what if I found a way to pay for that awesome honeymoon we wanted so we don't have to go on this crappy honeymoon we actually planned because we're poor? And he was like, What would you have to do? And she was like, paint Barney naked. And I want you to know that when he first asked me, I said no, because I promise you're the only man I'm ever going to see naked. And he went, aw. And she was like, but then he offered me $5,000. And he was like, we're going to Scotland. It's so cute. <laughs> yeah. And again, I would say, like, this is kind of that, like, an indication of them maturing as a couple. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's also like, it's Barney. Right, exactly. This isn't just some, like, rando. It's Marshall's friend. It's Lily's friend. Later, when Barney is about to get undressed, Marshall storms in to interrupt and asks Lily to talk with him alone. They step outside the door, and Marshall loudly exclaims for Barney to hear, I can't let my wife see another man naked. And he goes on to be like, I can't allow you to compromise your values for money and, like, all this stuff. And then he quietly explains to her that if they can get Barney to up his offer, he found a castle that they could stay in. Yeah. They both go back in to talk to Barney, but before they can say anything, he offers them an extra five grand, and they quickly agree, and Lily finishes the painting. This is so funny. I love this. <laughs> and you know what's funny? So Barney, that's Barney paying for their honeymoon, and he also went on The Price is Right. 
because he thought his dad was Bob Barker. And he won every single prize that they have, like every single one. And then he gave all of it to Marshall and Lily as a wedding gift. Yeah. Which is just something that I, I randomly remembered. Yeah. After remembering that he paid for their honeymoon as well. I like those details. I think that's kind of, I don't know. It's very sweet. It shows a different side to Barney as a character, but also like it shows the bond between friends. Yeah, that's cute. And it's also Lily and Marshall are struggling, like very, very right. And well, like I mean, I mean, we know right that Marshall is not working at this point. He's still in school. She's a kindergarten teacher. It's not then like an artist, not making a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. So pretty soon after that episode, Marshall passes the New York State bar exam. Yay! Yay! And can officially practice law in New York. Yay! In the penultimate and final episodes of season two. Lily and Marshall get married, but before the ceremony, practically everything that can go wrong does. The florist and photographer cancel at the last minute. Lily's veil is run over in the parking lot. Lily's cousin ruins Marshall's hair after being asked to trim it. Lily's special underwear is missing. The harpist who's supposed to play them down the aisle goes into labor, and Lily's ex-boyfriend, Scooter, had shown up uninvited to object to the wedding. Did we talk about this before? Was there another wedding where everything went wrong? It was in Scrubs, Carla and Turk's wedding went pretty goddamn wrong. Oh my god, wait. Have we done Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Because their wedding went wrong, too. Oh my god. Like, I get yeah. that this is a... I, th- I see... Th- I think this is... Uh, I never recognized it before, but this is definitely a, a trope, a comedy trope. Yeah. Which is... <laughs> yeah, it makes sense that it is. I guess I just never put words to it. But I was like... I'm listening to the time going, I, like, feel like I've had this conversation before. That <laughs> is hilarious. God, all the weddings go wrong, don't they? Because Nick and Jess's wedding went wrong. Cece's first wedding went horribly wrong and didn't end up happening, but her wedding to Schmidt went pretty okay as far as I can... No, it didn't! They lost their venue and had to get married at the loft. Yeah. Every TV wedding goes bad. (laughs) It's cursed. Oh, you know what? I think the only one that escaped that was... And I didn't actually watch it, but didn't... Like, one of the two couples get married in Big Bang Theory, and it went fine. Well, I know one of the couples definitely got married, Wallowitz and uh, Bernadette, and then I think one of the other couples got married too, and I don't think anything went wrong during those weddings. Oh, God, I have no idea. That's, yeah. But I think they were trying to wrap up, like, the series, so it was better if everything went right. It was more sweet. I think I saw um, Howard and... Bernadette's engagement scene because it was like this cute little song that went everywhere for a while. Maybe they did a time skip and just went straight after the wedding. I don't know. I don't. But I don't remember them actually getting married. I think that's where I was like already dropping off. Yeah, I didn't watch much after like the second or third season. Oh. Damn. We're not as literate. I mean, I know I'm not literate in TV, but you're not as literate in TV. As you say you are. <laughs> hey, this isn't a podcast about the Big Bang Theory, all right? This is an episode about how I met your mother. We electively you decided not to do Big Bang Theory people. because of this That's exact true. situation. We don't know shit about that show. Lily and Marshall separately leave to the garden behind the venue and see each other, which Marshall says is bad luck. Lily tells him the wedding is already practically ruined, but at least they won't have any photos to remember it. That poor thing. What a bad day. While the gang is in the garden comforting the couple, a a guitar player starts strumming their song, Good Feeling, and Barney reminds them that he'd gotten ordained to officiate their elopement. Is that a word? Yeah. I think it is. Cool. 
and offers to marry them before they return to the venue and they can have the wedding they always wanted. Small, with, their, with only their close friends, in a garden with an acoustic guitar playing. And that anything that happens after won't matter and will just be for their families. They agree and get married before returning to the wedding. It's bumpy, Scooter causes a scene, and there's no music or flowers, but Lily and Marshall get through it and know that they already had their perfect wedding anyway. Which is very cute, because in the wedding planning, we do see them compromising on, pretty much on every single detail of their wedding because of their families. Yeah. Who, both of whom are very involved in their lives and, like, their relationship. Yeah. And, I don't know, I just appreciate the attitude that this was, that they took, and, like, this is a very creative way to handle this. Yeah. That showcased the strength of you know their their marriage it's very sweet it's a it's a yeah it's a very formative moment for them as a couple i think and it's a theme that we're gonna see come back later that sort of resilience yeah in the beginning of season three marshall is offered a high-paying job at a law firm but is reluctant to accept the offer because of the firm's scandal-filled reputation and the damage they do to the environment at the same time, he and Lily are attempting to buy an apartment together, and we and Marshall find out that li- find out about Lily's crushing credit card debt after their loan is approved at 16%, which I'm told is bad. It, yes. <laughs> I think his goal was below 6%. Yes, you want, yeah. Marshall is understandably upset both about finding out about, finding out about her hidden debt and about having to accept the high-paying but awful job. Lily apologizes and tells him that she had talked to divorce lawyers about them financially separating so that he could be approved for their apartment without her debt dragging them down. But Marshall tells her that when he married her, he married her debt, and that they would get through this together, just like how she had supported him through law school. On a kindergarten teacher's salary. Yeah. And this is another thing that I think is very, like, 2000s about the show, is that the entirety of her credit card debt is blamed on her shopping addiction. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's like, how on earth were they living in a two-bedroom apartment in Manhattan? Right. First of all, on a kindergarten teacher's salary. Second of all, supporting two people, one in law school, has his own student debt. Like, come on. That's just like a very unfair and sexist, like, framing. Yeah. But I think here, like, um, it's, again, kind of showing how they're a good couple in that like you make sacrifices for each other in -hmm. relationships and like at certain points one person is going to make a sacrifice or one person is going to rely on the other more and then at other Mm -hmm. points it's going to be flipped that's just what happens in like long-term relationships and I just feel like this is a very yeah again a really sweet way to look at this and a really good example of what actually happens in long-term relationships including hiding things and then eventually them coming out later and affecting both people yeah seriously how is she gonna hide it's like 33k in the debt like right and the thing is like when when with things like this like credit card debt like that doesn't just affect you anymore like you need to think of your partner in the same way that when you have children you need to think of your children when you're making big decisions and handling things like this yeah. Oy. In the episode Doa Citripla, Lily and Marshall officially buy their apartment, but quickly realize that they had not done enough prior research and find out their new place is not only downwind from the sewage treatment plant, but also crooked. The crooked thing doesn't bother me as much because our parents' house is crooked. I never noticed. 
It it is. If you put a ball down on the ground on the hardwood, it'll roll um, in the dining room and I think also in the living room. One of the things I really appreciate about the early sitcom format, which I really desperately am missing these days, is that they do these set and framing and visual jokes that are so fucking funny. So in like this one, when they realize that the apartment is crooked, the entire set tilts oh, to yeah. like a really dramatic, like 30 degree angle. Right. And it stays like that every other time you're in their apartment. <laughs> Or, like, way later in the series when they see this beautiful house that they're thinking about buying and it's, like, huge and out in the suburbs, and then they come back to their New York apartment, it's, like, half the size. Yeah. And then every time after we see their apartment, it's smaller. That's so real, though, because, like, once you see something, right, that's, like, all you can focus on. Seriously. And I just think it's so funny. And that visual humor is so underutilized. I adore it. Yeah. I like it. In the episode, The Chain of Screaming, Marshall regrets his decision to work for a corporate law firm, and after an altercation with his abusive boss, Marshall is fired. Rip. Weeks. In the beginning of season four, in the episode I Heart NJ, we find out that Marshall had always assumed he and Lily would move out of the city when they had kids, while Lily had assumed that they would stay in their apartment. Marshall says the city isn't a good place for kids to grow up, and Lily disagrees, saying she had loved growing up in Brooklyn and hates the idea of living in the suburbs. They end up getting distracted, and the episode ends without them reaching a resolution on the topic. That is weird. That's another example of their differences in upbringing, though. Like, Lily was born and raised in New York City, and Marshall was raised in this tiny little cottagey house that's adorable with all of his brothers out in this, like, probably very that so that 70s show style, like, childhood. I don't know. It's yeah. interesting. But it's interesting that they sort of just drop off on this because a few episodes later, Marshall and Lily are discussing whether it's the right time to start trying for a baby. <laughs> hmm. Um, maybe you want to resolve that issue first. <laughs> eh. <laughs> it's also around this time that Marshall starts another corporate job working with Barney at Goliath National Bank. This is so interesting to me, though, because, like, I feel like it was such a big deal before to Marshall that he didn't want to work for a company that wasn't like a good company or like environmentally friendly and like you know just generally a good company and then he just starts working here and it's like not an issue yeah and lily didn't want really want him to take this job she also didn't want him to take that other huge corporate job yeah she didn't tell him about the debt when he told her about the salary of that job she was still hiding it from him. So, and she encouraged him not to take it because it goes against his values. Right. Even knowing that she had all that debt. And this time, once again, she's saying, I really think that you should start to seriously pursue working in an environmental firm now that you're out of that horrible corporate job that you fucking hated. And he starts to go stir crazy being unemployed. And eventually he's like, Lily, I can't find that kind of a job right now so will it still be okay if i take this big bank corporate job and like it's gonna be shitty but we're gonna make a shit ton of money Mm -hmm. and that'll be for our kids and she's like yeah that that makes sense to me that's fair i guess kind of yeah that kind of rationalization for it yeah so he just worked there for a while though and it starts to lily it starts to get to lily at the end especially when he's talking about like this promotion that she's that he's up for and she's like so just to check in, right? 
you still want to be an environmental lawyer and save the world? Because I'm pretty sure college you would fucking hate what you turned into right yeah. now. And this is not, like, this is not who you are. You're not a corporate, cruel, heartless guy. Mm-hmm. You care about people <laughs> and the world. In the episode Three Days of Snow, we find out that Lily and Marshall have several rituals with each other, including calling each other every day to tell them what they had for lunch and picking each other up from the airport with gifts of local beer from wherever they had traveled to. Again, good example of creating shared meaning. It's very Beautiful. cute. And originally, both of them are... <laughs> she left for that trip, and before she did, they were like, okay, just to check in, we're not going to do our normal ritual because we are mature now. We're a mature couple. We don't do silly young couple things anymore. We're married. We're established. We're good. We don't need to do it. And there's also a snowstorm, so it wouldn't even make sense. And we're adults, so we understand that. And then they both panic because they're like, but what if the other one does it anyway? (laughs) And I don't have my half of the thing. And so they both go get their half of the thing, and they do it anyway. And it's really cute. No, and that's a good thing. I, I love that. Yeah, having cute rituals has nothing to do with maturity. Yeah, I mean, like, we think that old people are especially cute when they have cute rituals with each other. Exactly. <laughs> like, matching clothes. Exactly. <laughs> In the beginning of season five, Wait, William... wait, should we split it here? Oh, how far are we? <gasps> oh, my God. We're at an hour and 17 minutes. I didn't even And we're notice. a little more than halfway. And we just finished up episode four. I mean, season four, which is about halfway through the series. That's true. Yeah, we should cut it here because I have a lot more because I have a lot to say about some plot lines that are going to come up later. I know. I can see there's a lot more material for, like, the second half of the series. Yeah, I just casually sent Siri, like, an 11-page document for this episode, and I was like, this is I don't it. even remember all this material. <laughs> um, but I, fe- I have a feeling, especially when we get to the family stuff that we're gonna have a lot to talk about after they have marvin i'm about to pop off and i think also getting pregnant which you know what i can find an article about trying to have a baby if we want to talk about that because that That can be be really stressful yeah we just have another full-size episode yeah and because we haven't even gotten i didn't even realize we haven't even gotten to mickey to mickey yet and that's going to be a huge chunk. I think for this one, do you want to do trying to get pregnant or do we want to do family issues? Oh, criminy. I can search for both pregnancy. Let's do pregnancy so we can do family issues for, or uh, we're doing stepkids yes, for Superstore. And I think that is distinct enough that we want to cover that separately. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Let's do trying to get pregnant because they have like a whole, they have several season long arcs about Lily and Marshall getting pregnant. (laughs) Which, oh my God, this is a very sexual couple. This was something I don't think. We thought Brad and Jane were sexual. This is is funny though because I feel like we didn't really, like with uh, Jake and Amy, we covered transition to parenthood, but I think trying to get pregnant would have applied to them too, even though. Although in Lily and Marshall go through fertility storylines. That's true. And I was about to say with Jake and Amy, as far as I can tell, they made it seem like it went on for several months. But actually, that can be pretty typical. That doesn't really indicate a difficulty trying to conceive. Exactly. Neither of them had to 
do what William Marshall did, which was go into right. a doctor, get tested to see if you are infertile because you've been trying right. for so long. Yeah. And I think it was several years for William yeah, Marshall. Yeah, that's typically, like, that's really actually difficulty with conceiving. Yeah. But I know, I wonder if they just didn't want to commit the time to an IVF storyline. Probably. But it seemed like it was heading in that direction. Yeah. Because they, you know, they had, they had all these tests. They were seeing this doctor and, like, he was played by Neil Patrick Harris. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was probably. But they might have just not have time it's, for it's it. It's complicated and it would require some, like, more in-depth. I don't know. I just I would have loved to see some hormonal Lily <laughs> taking the shots. Like that would have been very funny. Yeah. I know it's a hard process, but it would have been No, fun. and I think yeah, it would have been really interesting to see that through. But sometimes it does happen, right? Like you 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 can't do it, you can't do it, you can't. And then all of a sudden you you do get pregnant. Yeah, and that I mean, that's for all intents and purposes what we are led to assume happened to Marshall and Lily. Yeah. So yeah. There are some really intensely mid two thousand storylines that I want to warn people about that are coming oh up. Oh my god! But I just want to let y'all know this is a show that was doing like yellow face in twenty twenty in twenty ten. So like, don't expect too much. Yeah. The episode where they're trying to fight over like the gender of the baby, I was like, I feel like medical science was far enough at this point that you know that's not how it works. <laughs> I'm sorry, science. <laughs> <laughs> this is so funny. Oh, my God. I can't wait till we get there. Yeah, we should cut it off because I have so much to say. Yeah. No, this will be fun. All right. Well, thanks for listening. This is How I Met Your Mother Part 1. Okay. And uh, tune in back in for next time. Thanks. Bye.